Today's scripture reading is from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. John chapter 4, verses 1 through 9 says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Mackenzie. Uh, Good morning, church family. Good to be with you uh, today on this wonderful daylight savings morning. Oh my goodness, it's the worst day of the year. But it's still a joy, it's Sunday, and we celebrate the resurrected Christ. And so no, no little amount of sleep can, uh, can put him back in the, uh, the tomb. So that's a good thing. But uh, it is a joy to be with you. If you don't know me, my name is Reed. Uh, I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here. And if you're new, if you're a guest, uh, we are glad you're here. Whatever brings you here, uh, whatever challenges, hopes uh, that you bring into the space, I hope and pray that through the power of the Spirit, uh, God would meet us, uh, comfort us, challenge and convict us through the power of his word together. So let's, let's take a moment just to pray together as we continue in worship and, and ask the Lord's blessing on the hearing and the teaching of his words. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we thank you and praise you that you are a God of revelation, that you are a God who speaks and make, makes yourself known. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the beauty of creation that, that tells the beauties and the wonders of your truth, of your glory. And Lord, we thank you for your recorded word for us by your servant John that tells us and points us to the beauty of Christ Jesus. And we thank you for the incarnate word, Jesus himself, who is our only hope in life and in death. And so Lord, I ask that you would accomplish in this time that which only you can do, through the power of your spirit, would you enliven those who are dead? Would you, would you bring to, to mind truths that we do not and indeed cannot believe and see apart from you? And Lord, we ask that you would stir within our hearts deep affections for you and for the things that you love so that we might respond to who you are, to what you have done for us, that we might emulate your beauty and truth in this world that brings glory to your name and good to all peoples. Lord, may this time be honoring to you and edifying to us. We pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our King, and for his glory. Amen. Um, you, you may not be surprised by this statement, but when I was in high school, I was a bit of an idiot. Um, some, of you, some of you are like, yeah, that checks out. I, I, some of you knew me in high school, and so you're like, yes, amen to that. Uh, but but one, one incident of, of idiocy was during my senior year, uh, myself and a couple friends of mine, we went down to the West Bottoms here in Kansas City and decided to not just go to a haunted house, we decided to sneak into a haunted house. 
And so rather than, you know, exchanging money for goods and services like most upstanding citizens do, we decided to sneak in through this unmanned entrance around the back. And so we get into this haunted house. It's called The Beast. I think it's still there. And um, we're in this haunted house and we're in this giant room filled with kind of fog and smoke. And we see this dimly lit exit sign off in the distance. And we decide to break out of the haunted house that we broke into. And so we go through this exit sign or exit door and we're in this giant part of this abandoned part of this warehouse where the haunted house took place. And in this uh, abandoned part of the warehouse, there is this slide. And so we're up at probably the fourth or fifth story of this building and the slide was used at some point during the haunted house, they might use it now, that goes outside the building and then comes back inside the building. It was the way that the haunted house ended. And so, so my technically adult 18-year-old mind says, it's a good idea to go down the slide. And so, so we get in and we don't know where it takes us. And we're going down the slide. It's going faster than we realize. It's pitch black. And it spits us out into this padded room that is only lit by another exit sign above a door that is locked. And so we, we have found ourselves in, the, in this padded room that is locked at the bottom of this dark slide in an abandoned part of a haunted house. And I remember having this, like, this is how it ends. This is how I die. And on my tombstone says, here lies an idiot. And I was, it was, it was kind of a terrifying moment. Now, spoiler alert, I survived. I did get out. Uh, but we, we had to climb back up the slide, which took a long time. And it was, it was rather terrifying, rather scary. But, but I, I share this story. The moral of the story is that they will they'll let anybody become a pastor, so uh, let that be an encouragement to you. But, but in all seriousness, like the haunted house, there were rules, right? Even though it's a haunted house, there's rules. There are boundaries. There are barriers. And, and just like in most cases, like some boundaries and barriers need to be respected. You need not cross them. And when you do, sometimes there are problems that, that develop and arise. Boundaries and barriers are there for a reason. We have laws. We have customs. We have fences. We have county lines for a reason. And when we cross those barriers, sometimes there are problems that develop. But some barriers and some boundaries exist that create more division and more heartache. And some of those boundaries should be crossed or should be challenged or maybe in some ways removed entirely to allow for unity to develop. And in our text this morning, if you have your Bibles open to John 4, what we see in this profoundly beautiful interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman is a picture of what godly barrier crossing looks like. And we see it multiple times over in how Jesus comes to this Samaritan woman and shows her his deep love for her and for all peoples in this interaction in John 4. Now, now we could have an entire sermon series on John chapter 4. There's so much beautiful truth in this chapter. But for the sake of our conversation, our time together, what I want us to, to focus in on in John 4 is this. That the love of Jesus knows no barrier. The love of Jesus knows no Barrier, And we will see this beautiful truth multiple times as Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman. So, so if you have your Bibles, uh, either paper, electronic, scroll, or turn to John 4. And what we kind of do often, if you're new with us, we've been journeying through the Gospel of John in our series Word Made Flesh. And I want to set the context for us so we know what's kind of happening, what's going on in this conversation. So, so Jesus, or John rather, communicates to us that Jesus is leaving the Judean countryside and is preparing to return to Galilee. And, and what we see that John records for us is that he does so by way of the town Sychar, which is in Samaria. 
And Samaria is this, uh, this region where it's kind of in the central part of, of Israel, and, and the Samaritans and the Jewish people, uh, there was a great historical cultural divide between these peoples that goes back centuries. So just a brief history lesson, okay? So 722 BC, the Assyrians capture Samaria. And, and what they do at this time is that they deport all of the noble, affluent, educated, wealthy um, Israelites, and they take them out of Samaria, and so the Israelites that are left in Samaria are the lower class, the uneducated, and so they remain. During this time, the remaining Israelites in Samaria begin to intermarry with the Assyrians and other foreigners that have moved into this region. Fast forward 200 years, and you have the Babylonian exile. So, so Israel had been taken away. They were uh, in Babylon. And then in 538 BC, around there, the Israelites returned from Babylon back to the Samaritan region. And so these Israelites who had been away from Samaria for 200 years are returning, and they are reunited with their Samaritan brethren. But what happens is that because of them intermarrying with various peoples, there had been in the minds of the true Israelites... There had been this ethnic dilution in the Samaritans because of this uh, ethnic inferiority that they saw in them. The Jews and the Samaritans did not play well together on the playground. So there was great division between these two people groups. The Samaritans also adopted various religious and theological differences that varied from the, the Israelites. And so this long-standing division goes back centuries and, it, and no small part of it is wrapped up in the ethnic div, uh, division between Jews and Samaritans in which we see John bringing attention to in verse 9. Look with me at verse 9. Chapter 4, verse 9, we read these words. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then parenthetically, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so herein lies the first major barrier that the love of Jesus knows not. The first barrier that Jesus crosses in showing his love and his identity as the Messiah, which we'll see in a minute, is that he crosses this ethnic barrier. This Samaritan woman is keenly aware of the fact that she's a Samaritan, and she's keenly aware of the fact that Jesus himself is Jewish. And she knows that like, she has no business interacting with him, and vice versa, that Jesus really has no business interacting with her. And, and while she is, she is allowing this kind of historical cultural divide to, to keep them apart, Jesus refuses to let this long-standing division keep him from coming to her. Why? Because the love of Jesus knows no barrier. And Jesus is willing to cross this cultural divide to reach her. In addition to her ethnic identity, we see obviously she is a woman. And this places her in a category of inferiority in this time because women were seen as second-class citizens in many ways. And it was very uncommon to have a man speaking to a woman or vice versa if they were not married. And so there is this gender dynamic in which Jesus is also aware of and this woman uses as another barrier that is keeping her from coming to him. In addition to that, she's here, and John makes note of this, she's here alone in the middle of the day it was very common for women to go to the well to uh, retrieve water in the cool of the morning. And they would often go in groups of, of women for protection. But this woman is here in the middle of the day, about noon, in the heat of the day, all by herself. And many commentators point out that this is likely due to the fact that she is basically a social outcast. 
based on her past, her behaviors, and, and things that have happened to her, or things that she has done, she is seen as a social outcast. No one will go with her, even to the well, to retrieve water. And yet, despite all of these barriers, Jesus draws near to her. Jesus has come to Samaria for this woman. Jesus has come to be with this broken, sinful, wounded, isolated, marginalized woman from Samaria. Why? Because the love of Jesus knows no barrier. Now, I want, what I want to do in kind of leaning into these barriers that Jesus is crossing, I want us to give a little bit of attention first to this ethnic barrier that Jesus crosses. And, and it's important to note in this barrier that Jesus crosses is that he's Notice that the woman recognizes that Jesus is Jewish. I mean, obviously, Jesus knows the woman is, is a Samaritan. I mean, they're in Samaria, and he's the son of God, so he should have some kind of intimate knowledge of other people. But, but how does she know that he's Jewish? Jesus hasn't identified himself as Jewish. He's not yet uh, famous at this point to where his reputation is spreading to Samaria. She has no idea who this man is, but there's something about Jesus that is observable, empirical about him that concludes, that leads her to conclude he's Jewish. So it must be uh, something about his facial features, his complexion, his dress, his accent. Something about Jesus that is observable leads her to conclude that this man is Jewish. And the point here is that this distinction that they both see in each other, the woman sees this ethnic uh, distinction as opposition, as something that stands in the way between them. Jesus sees their ethnic distinction as an opportunity. He's fully aware that she's a Samaritan, and he's fully aware that he's Jewish, and vice versa. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity. And And notice, Jesus does not shame her, for her identity as a Samaritan, which was a very common practice amongst Jews and Samaritans both ways. So he doesn't shame her, but also he refuses to minimize or ignore her Samaritan identity. And so he's fully aware that she's a Samaritan. In fact, he sees it as an asset for the work that he is doing in spreading the gospel of the kingdom. And so in this conversation, Jesus is, to kind of use a common term in our day, Jesus is not colorblind in this conversation. He's not Samaritan blind. He's not minimizing or denying the fact that she is ethnically different. He's fully aware of the fact that she is a Samaritan and that he is a Jew. And in fact, it is precisely her Samaritanness that Jesus sees as an asset in spreading the gospel. And we'll see that later as the story kind of unfolds. And so, so notice that Jesus doesn't move past their ethnic identity. He doesn't simply suggest, hey, let's stop talking about how you're a Samaritan and how I'm a Jew, because that kind of perpetuates the divide. Like that, That's kind of the way in which we talk about race and ethnicity, even in our culture today, that we think that by having the conversation, it perpetuates it. And it's true, that can happen. But notice that Jesus leans into it. He actually leans fully into their ethnic distinctions in order to lovingly make a connection with her, to draw near to her because the love of Jesus knows no barrier. And again, I think this applies to our own day where we, it is, it's common to kind of have this this mindset that, hey, by simply talking about these matters, it makes it worse. And in one sense, that that can happen. I'm not naive to that fact. I mean, I recognize fully there are unhelpful and toxic and dangerous ways to talk about ethnic divide. 
about race and racism in our culture. I'm, I'm not naive to that. But, but to think that the solution is to ignore it and to not talk about it, well, I, I don't think that is helpful either. What we need instead is to pursue godly and biblical ways of recognizing ethnic distinction, racial realities, if we are to be a people who are seeking healing and unity. What we need in engaging these conversations is to pursue a, a biblical way of discussing it that brings about healing and repentance, forgiveness, unity, and love. Not more shame, not more pride, not more division. But that requires leaning into hard conversations and not shying away from it. In fact, uh, Dr. Erwin Entz, uh, he's a Presbyterian uh, pastor and phenomenal author and speaker. Uh, in his book, and if, if I could commend a book to you, a recent book that he wrote, is called The Beautiful Community. And Dr. Entz basically gives this beautiful biblical picture of God's design for the multi-ethnic church globally and locally. And in it, what he, what he talks about so beautifully is how we need to engage in conversation more meaningfully. Listen to what he says here. He says, some Christians argue that we shouldn't even talk about race or use the word since it's a man-made concept. Using the term only serves to further divide us. Discarding the word race would make it easier to ignore the devastating and deadly impact of racialized ghettoization, which is a term of essentially how we have separated historically segregated people based on race. Further, we would fool ourselves into thinking that this is just a problem of the past. And so what Dr. Entz is saying here is that, like, look, we, we, we are not saying simply that because we live in a, in a world and culture where race is a dynamic, that we are all inherently racist. But rather, we live in what was referred to as a racialized culture. Race is a factor in our world. That's not the same as saying that our culture is inherently racist. But race is an undeniable variable in the equation of our culture and our country, for that matter. Or as, as my, one of my seminary professors, Dr. Jarvis Williams, says, that race in particular, race is a biological fiction, but a sociological fact. It's a biological fiction made by man to divide us, but it is a sociological fact that we have to reckon with. And so as we look at, Je going back to Jesus here, as we look at Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, we see him refusing to deny the ethnic or racial realities between himself and this woman, but we also see him refusing to let them be a barrier between him and her. Why? Because the love of Jesus knows no barrier. So we see Jesus crossing a very divisive, historical, ethnic divide in coming to the Samaritan woman. But we also see that Jesus crosses, I'm going to use kind of a fancy word here, he crosses an existential barrier. And what I mean by that is that he's crossing a barrier that, that we see in this woman where she has essentially been searching for fulfillment, contentment, satisfaction in some way, shape, or form throughout her life and has not found it. She has been looking for some, she has some insatiable longing for fulfillment and has not arrived. And Jesus uses... Quite literally, the common ground that they're standing on, the, the, the well of, J of Jacob, as a way to reveal to her that what she is longing for is right before her. And that the thing that she has been pursuing, this, this existential longing, this existential barrier that prevents her from coming to him, Jesus crosses over. And we see this in verses 13 and 14. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, referring to the water in the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus is not just giving a cute metaphor to try to connect with this woman. He's not just simply trying to get to her heart by way of her imagination. I think he is doing that, but he's saying so much more. He is speaking directly to her longing heart that still hasn't found what she's looking for, to paraphrase the great theologian Bono from U2. And, and, and that's, that's really what's going on. Like She's been searching for some satisfaction, and she can't get to quote the Rolling Stones. I can't get no satisfaction. Just a rock and roll Sunday here. But, but, but so often, this, this is the case. So often we are looking for some kind of existential equilibrium, some kind of fulfillment and satisfaction in following the desires of our heart. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. The, the way it becomes a bad thing is when we allow our desires for earthly things to be the end all. And we find that it doesn't do the trick. This is a perpetual problem that we see in the Samaritan woman, but also in our day today. We, fail, we, we so often look for this kind of contentment. We think that if we just have a little bit more of fill in the blank, whatever, that we will find contentment. But what we fail to see and what Jesus is trying to awaken in this woman and in us is that our desires for the things of earth, while they are good desires, they don't quite satisfy. And the reason why is because they are meant to point us to a greater desire for the living water that never runs dry. But we so often settle for lesser things. C.S. Lewis, in his famous uh, work, Mere Christianity, captures this this, uh, aspect of the human condition. He says this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger, well, there's such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself, this this is gold, this is worth the price of admission. If I find in myself a desire, you didn't pay to come in here, just so you know, that's a joke. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it and to suggest the real thing or to suggest the living water that Jesus brings to satisfy the longing soul. And that is exactly what Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman. He has come to satisfy her insatiable thirst for more. For just as the water in this well that she is reaching for in order to satiate her thirst will only cause her to be thirsty again, so it will continue to be with the love, the pleasure, and the connection that she is reaching for throughout her life. The, the, the illustration in my mind is like eating chips and salsa at a restaurant. I love chips and salsa, but it never fills you up, right? It never fills you up. It makes you thirsty. And then it, if you eat too much of it, it kind of ruins the joy of the meal that you came to enjoy. It's, it's kind of this tempting thing, but it's so good, isn't it? That's kind of how we operate. We just keep filling ourselves with chips and salsa, never fully filled, never satisfied, still thirsty. And it actually robs from the joy of the thing that is to come. And Jesus has come to this woman to say, I am this fulfillment. I have come to be the one that you're longing for. Because the love of Jesus knows no barrier. 
But even as Jesus is trying to like poetically and tenderly tell her this truth, she, she doesn't quite get it. She's a little, a little, maybe a little dense at first. And so Jesus persists. He goes on, like he, he doesn't allow this barrier of maybe of, of intellectual inability to keep him. He doesn't give up like, oh, I'm just going to move on to the next town. He leans in even more. So look, look what she says in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. So she's still thinking kind of in the physical realm. She is still thinking of, of, of a satisfaction and a pleasure uh, that, that comes from something that she can see, taste, and touch. And so Jesus moves closer still and crosses even another barrier. He crosses this moral barrier. There's this other barrier that is still standing in her way. And so Jesus tenderly but very boldly crosses it and, 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 kind, of, and kind, of, kind of pokes in the wound of her soul in what he says next. Verses 16 through 18, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman, the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you were right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. And so what you have said is true. So in this moment, Jesus is pointing out to her a truth that she already knows. She's been married five times over. And, and, and many commentators point out that you know, in this time, women were not permitted to divorce husbands. And so it is likely that, that out of these five, there's a good chance that one of them was probably well, very unkind and hurtful to her. And so whether or not that this is a case of a woman who is a wanton woman who is going after lover after lover, that, that's maybe true. But there's likely some element of, of hurt, of abuse, of rejection in this woman's story. And Jesus it feels like he's piling on. It's like, Jesus, why are you making this poor woman relive her past? Why are you walking her through her trauma? Why are you doing that? Like, this is not helping. It feels like he's pushing her away. But in this moment, he's revealing her past to her in order to tenderly tell her that what she has been looking for in all of these men, in what she has been searching for year after year, is now standing right in front of her. That the source of joy, that, that what she is looking for to satisfy her insatiable desires is now here. He is saying to her, I am here to offer you the very thing that you have been looking for in husband after husband, in lover after lover, pleasure after pleasure, well after well. And in this moment, Jesus, Jesus is not shaming her for her hollow or sinful pursuits of pleasure but rather he is trying to awaken her to the greater source of joy that stands before her in himself. Instead of shaming her, he is lovingly beckoning her to come to him who is the one who can fully satisfy the cravings of her soul. Why? Because the love of Jesus knows no barrier. And he will not allow any cultural divide. He will not allow any gender divide. He will not allow any longing divide or moral divide. Keep us from him, or rather, keep him from coming to us. And as Jesus tenderly awakens her to the pains of her past, to see that he is the one that she has been searching for in all of those painful endeavors, how does this woman respond? How does this woman respond to a man who points out all of her failures, all of her shame and sin? What does she do? Look with me at verse 28 through 30. 
And so the woman left her water jar, which is very interesting. She leaves behind the thing that she brought with her in order to satisfy her physical thirst as a way to say, like, I don't need this right now. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. She can't contain herself. This woman who has been the social outcast of her town, of her community, for God knows how long, is now willing and able to go back to the town that she has been ostracized from and bring those who have cast her out to bring them in closer to Jesus. The woman who was isolated because of so many barriers is now casting aside every barrier to bring others to the one who knows no barrier. And she does so knowing, like, she knows that nothing has changed in these people, but something has changed in her. And she's willing to run back to this town. The one, the one who was seen as ethnically inferior is now favored by the one who created ethnicity itself. The one who was shunned by others now shares the good news with those who shunned her. The one whose sin and shame isolated her is now unashamedly proclaiming that Jesus is the Christ. And the one who still hadn't found what she was looking for is now seeing the one who has come looking for her. And in response to that, her natural reaction is to drop her water jar and to go into town and tell people like, y'all, you got to hear something. I just met a man who told me everything I ever did. This must be the Christ. And she brings people to him. Friends, it was not incidental that Jesus called this Samaritan woman to be the first person to publicly declare his identity as the Messiah. This was on purpose. Jesus doesn't do things willy-nilly. I don't, I, that wasn't in my, in my manuscript, but I don't know who says willy-nilly, but I just did. But Jesus does not do things just haphazardly. He chose this woman on purpose. He, he came to Samaria for this reason. Jesus chose her. It was intentional, not incidental. It was providential, not, not happenstance. This encounter with Jesus led the Samaritan woman to respond by going and declaring that this must be the Christ. And that is why John says these powerful words in verse 4. Look with me back at verse 4. John records, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Yes, I mean, in, in a very, very basic sense, Jesus had to pass through Samaria to get to Galilee. That's a geographical fact. But what we've seen in the gospel of John so far is that John John will reveal details to us, not for the sake of just giving us interesting facts and data, but these facts and data point to an even greater truth. John is not interested in just giving us geographical information. He is revealing to us a profound and deep theological truth. Jesus had to go to Samaria because the person who would be the first to publicly proclaim that he is the Messiah was there. Jesus didn't, he didn't go to one of his disciples He didn't even ask Nicodemus, holy, pious, righteous, pharisaical Nicodemus, to be the one to announce to the the world in Samaria that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one. No, instead he chose a broken, marginalized, sinful, wounded woman from Samaria. And he did this on purpose. 
And there's something about this invitation that he gives her. Why does Jesus choose her to be his messianic messenger? As a way to show that the kingdom of Jesus is for all people and nothing, hear me, nothing can stand in the way of that because the love of Jesus knows no barrier. Amen? That's why Jesus had to go to Samaria. And so friends, if this is, if this is true, if the love of Jesus knows no barrier, and if we have been captivated by this love, if we have been the recipients of a barrier-crossing love, then, then we ought to respond in kind in crossing any and all barriers to show love towards others and sharing the good news of Christ who is our King. And so with that, I want to offer us just two things to consider. If, if this love of Jesus that knows no barrier is to be our love that we emulate, the first thing is this, don't let barriers keep you from others. Don't let barriers keep you from others. Jesus didn't let ethnic division, cultural norms, religious differences, or sin itself keep him from lovingly pursuing the Samaritan woman, and neither should we. Neither should we. It doesn't mean that we ignore or minimize or downplay these barriers, but as followers of Jesus, whose love knows no barriers, we too must cross any and all barriers to seek, uh, to seek others and to cross barriers that keep us from loving others. And so if Jesus wouldn't allow barriers to keep him from loving those um, who are different from him, then we should follow suit, for that is what he has done for us. So don't let barriers keep you from others, but secondly, don't let barriers keep you from Jesus. Don't let barriers keep you from Jesus. I hope that what you hear in this story is yes, the beautiful universal truth that Jesus, the love of Jesus knows no barriers, but I hope what you hear abundantly clear is the love that Jesus has for you. That the love that Jesus has for you knows no barrier. No amount of your sin or shame or guilt or regret or abuse can stand in the way of Jesus lovingly saving you into a new life now and forever. Just like the Samaritan woman, you may feel overwhelmed by the weight of your sin. And just like her, while, while you might think that Jesus is holding your past over you, what he is actually doing is tenderly saying that, that even this will not keep me from holding you. I'm not holding your past against you. I'm not holding it over you. I'm revealing your past so that I can show you I will not allow it to keep me from holding you. Jesus is saying to us through the Samaritan woman, I know everything you've ever done. I've seen you at your worst and I'm not leaving. That's what Jesus is tenderly telling us in this story. Why did Jesus pass through Samaria? It's because his beloved was there. And, and this is something that is, is just so fascinating. Pastor Ben was sharing this with, with our teaching team recently, but in every occurrence in the scriptures where a man meets a woman at a well, it is a sign of impending marriage. And you might be thinking, okay, okay, but, but maybe with the exception of this one, because Jesus doesn't marry the Samaritan woman. And so in one sense, no, he doesn't marry the Samaritan woman. But in another sense, yes, he does. Jesus has come to this woman who has had husband after husband, hoping to find the one. And as she comes to this well in shame and sin, she comes face to face with the one. She comes face to face with the one who comes and lovingly says, I know what you've been searching for in all of those men. I know all the wounds that you carry from all of those men, and I am now here to give my life not just to you, but for you, and I will never leave. 
And so friends, as, as, we, as we see this love that Jesus shows the Samaritan woman, a love that knows no barrier, may we see the same love extended to us. As we see the love of Jesus that knows no barrier reaching out to the Samaritan woman, may we see that same love offered to each of us. As the great hymn declares, come ye sinners poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you full of pity, love, and power. Come ye thirsty and come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance. Every grace that brings you nigh. And in this last verse, come ye weary and heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. The good news of this story that Jesus is declaring through the Samaritan woman is that his love knows no barrier. And that is good news for all of us who have barrier after barrier that we have constructed or that has been constructed by someone else that stands in the way of receiving and knowing the love of Jesus. The love of Jesus knows no barrier. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you in this time recognizing that We are only capable to do so because you have first come to us. You are the God who destroys all barriers, all walls, all divisions that keep us apart and keep us from you. And so, Lord, I ask in this time through the power of your spirit that you would would cross any and all barriers that we have created or that have been created by others that are standing in the way of us seeing and knowing the truth that your love knows no barrier. Lord, you cross over our, our longing hearts that settle for such lesser things. Lord, would you cross over our moral and sinful barriers that have kept us from being the the worthy recipients of your love? Lord, would you cross over any kind of cultural or ethnic barrier that, that we have come to believe precludes us from being your beloved? Lord, I ask that in this time you would awaken us to this truth and that we would come and respond to you and find you as the one who is the lover of our souls. May we find in him the satisfaction of living water that that wells up inside of us and flows out from us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do this for our good and for your glory. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.